0: John but today we are in the book of Ephesians we are in Ephesians chapter 5 and we will begin in verse 1 so let us turn to God's word be imitators of God therefore as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God but among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is light that makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. God, You have given us Your Word. You've given us these commands and you have told us to apply them and to live according to them. As we look at these commands that are explicitly stated in your word, help us to apply them and to deduce them so that we might apply them to issues in our life that may not be directly uh, addressed by the Scriptures. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, our statement of faith today, we did read from the Westminster Confession of Faith and we read on its statement defining what the Bible is and how the Bible is to inform our life. The first thing the Bible informs for us, we're told in Second Timothy chapter 3, is it informs us to salvation. But then after we are saved, we are also given certain directions, certain instructions within the Scripture that as people who are saved, as people who are forgiven of their sin, we are to live a certain way. And we follow these commands not because they offer us salvation, but because out of gratitude for God, we want to live to be more and more like the image of God, renewed daily. uh, To be more and more like Christ. To be more and more like that perfect image of God. So these commands oftentimes deal with very specific things, and we're going to look at some specific things that these commands here in the book of Ephesians deal with. But God expects us, as the Westminster Confession of Faith says, God expects us to deduce and apply these things that are not directly addressed in Scripture. And so today, that's what we're going to do. We're going to take... Um, An issue in our world today and we're going to see how even though it is not addressed directly in Scripture we're going to see how we can apply Scripture to that particular issue Um, so this sermon has a twofold purpose the sermon's purpose is to directly address the issue of recreational use of marijuana in our world in our culture But I think the larger thing that I want us to see is how we look at Scripture, how we study it to see how it applies to things that are not necessarily directly addressed. Now, why the issue of marijuana? Well, sometimes pastors get asked questions. And uh, as we talked a little bit about in Sunday school today, sometimes you can just give an answer to a question and you can walk away from it and be done with it. Other times you get asked that question and it kind of itches there in the back of your mind until you're driven to study it. And when a pastor is driven to study something, guess what it turns into? A sermon. So um, here we are today. I I really am only looking at recreational use. I'm not going to necessarily look at medical use of marijuana today. Um, There are a lot of medications out there that have some of the same side effects that marijuana does, especially immediate side effects as far as drunkenness, which we're going to look at. That's the main command we're going to look at today here in this passage. But as long as they're used and regulated by a doctor, we still take them. Uh, Pain medications, a lot of times, all of us, more, I would guess most of us, myself included, have had surgery before in your life, and none of us had said, no, I don't want pain medications after that surgery. Um, So I'm not dealing with medical use. I am looking specifically at recreational use. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the don'ts of imitating God. We're going to look at the do's of imitating God. We're going to look at why we are giving these do's and these don'ts. And then we're going to seek to apply this to this particular issue. So first, the don'ts of imitating God. Now, this passage that that we have read from chapter 5, beginning in verse 1 and ending in verse 20, actually moving on, I believe, through the end of the book, Um, is kind of grounded, is kind of governed by that first verse there. It's governed by the idea that we are to be imitators of God as dearly loved children. Chapter 5, verse 1 falls in the middle of a section that begins in verse 17 of chapter 4 where Paul begins to take what he has taught in the first half of the book of Ephesians. the, The reality of the Gospel. The reality of the forgiveness that we have of sins through the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he applies it and he says this passage talks about removing the old man, removing the old habits of the sinful man, and putting on the new man or the, the new habits of, what, of living a life uh, in honor to God and in honor to Christ. And the summary of that is found there in, chapter, in verse 1 of chapter 5. Be imitators of God. After we have been forgiven by Christ, after we have been filled with the Gospel, after we have been filled with the Spirit, which we'll look at here in a few minutes, we are to imitate God. That is the goal of the Christian life, is to imitate God, to be more and more like Him. And then Paul dives into um, what it looks like to imitate God by giving us a list of certain things we are not supposed to do. So what are these things that we're not supposed to do? The the first thing he lists for us there in verse 3 is that we're to put off all sexual immorality, all impurity, and all greed. We are to live lives of purity. We are to live lives of morality. And we are to live lives that are not greedy. I think greed is kind of a combination of a, a violation of the first commandment. The commandment which is, thou shalt have no other gods before me. And then you combine that with the commandment, thou shalt not steal. And combine that yet again with the commandment, thou shalt not covet. We put all those things together and that's what greed is for us. Is this idolatry, this theft, this covetousness of other things. It manifests itself in the attitude that whatever I have is not enough. I always need something more. We usually look at this in the, from the language of the industrialists of the 20th century. How much money is enough? Well, just one more dollar. If I can just get one more dollar, I'll finally be satisfied. Well, what's wrong with that answer? Even if you get that one more dollar, what do you still want? That one more dollar, and you're going to get it by hook or by crook oftentimes. And I think we look at greed as the sin of the wealthy, but don't those who are poor, don't they oftentimes have the same attitude? If I could just have a little bit more, everything would be okay. And I'm going to get whatever I want by hook or by crook sometimes. And so we have to be careful. All of us are tempted by the sin of greed. All of us are tempted by sexual immorality and impurity. The next thing he tells us to put off is verse 4. He says tells us to avoid all obscenity, all foolish talk, and all coarse joking oh this is a struggle this one hits a little bit closer to home because i'm a horrible driver and i take it out on other people but we're to avoid indecent talk we're to avoid foolish talk and we're to avoid all coarse joking now this doesn't tell us that we can't joke at all Uh, all most of us remember calvin rice what do we remember him for his jokes don't we Is good jokes, and sometimes I wish I could be as funny as he is from the as he was from the pulpit. And I could tell I remember one of his jokes. I'm not going to tell it to you today, but I only remember one of his jokes, and I wish I could remember so many more of them and deliver them from the pulpit as he did. But you know, not that type of joking, not joking that makes a point, not satire, not things like that, but dirty jokes. We need to stay away from jokes that are offensive. Jokes that don't edify. Jokes that don't make the points of Scripture. We need to avoid those jokes that tear down and destroy. We need to stop partnering with the enemies of God. This is that idea of being in the world and not of the world. This comes from verse 7 where Paul says to stop partnering with the enemies of God. You know, oftentimes people will compromise truths of the Scripture in order to be able to work and to sit down at a table and have discussions with people who are the enemies of God. Paul says don't do that. Don't compromise the truths of the Scripture in order to have a voice. You will, you'll find yourself on the outside of God's family. He tells us not to be foolish. Um, the, the flip side of that we're going to see here in a few minutes is that God wants us to be wise. He wants us to be able to to be mature in our knowledge of Scripture so that as we live our lives, we can see how Scripture fills and directs us through all things. And then this next one here from verse 17, I'm going to camp on for a few minutes. And he tells us not to be drunk. Now, I want to be real careful here. In the idea of alcohol, God has in several places within His Scripture, He tells us in the Psalms that wine can give us a merry heart. He tells us in the Proverbs to to those who are sick and to those who are dying, give them strong drink to make that transition a little bit easier. And Paul tells Timothy, he says, hey, you have some stomach problems. Have yourself a little bit of wine every night with dinner before you go to bed. So... God is not condemning Paul is not condemning here alcohol per se what is he condemning here condemning drunkenness he's condemning that point where you get to a point where alcohol controls you instead of you controlling alcohol don't be so filled with wine that you've lost control don't be so filled with, law, with wine that you sober up and find yourself in a sexually immoral position. Or you find yourself joking coarsely. Or you find yourself doing foolish things. We hear way too many stories of college students these days who binge drink. And they wake up the next morning lying on somebody's lawn not knowing where their car is. In puddles of their own vomit and their own urine. And that's on a good night on these binge drinking nights don't be drunk and this is what I want us to look at this is the command don't be drunk don't be controlled by alcohol and see how we can apply this to the recreational use of marijuana now for the average person in the room and I realize there are exceptions for the average person in the room we can have a serving of alcohol we can have a beer or a glass of wine or a a glass of some type of liquor and we're fine are we not it actually has a tendency to enhance our mood and to enhance oftentimes the view that we have of the world around us and we can see better sometimes the glory of god around us but what happens if we go too far we lose that ability we lose that enhancement Why, how do we apply this to recreational use of marijuana? Studies have shown that it takes between one puff to four puffs on a marijuana cigarette uh, called a joint to get to that point of drunkenness. In other words, for the average person, there is no transition from sobriety to drunkenness when it comes to medical marijuana. You are pretty much almost automatically drunk. Not medical, recreation, excuse me. I said I wasn't going to deal with medical that much. So, how do we apply this scriptural principle to recreational use of marijuana? Well, it's drunkenness. It's the biggest category. So, we should not do it. Now, there are a couple, I'm going to put in quotes here, Christian justifications that people have used, that people have put forward to justify marijuana use for the Christian. The first is that if we go to Genesis 1 and 2, what are we told about creation? It's very good, isn't it? We've given all flowering plants, we're giving everything, and it's very good. And I don't want to deny that. I don't want to deny that when Christ created, or when Jesus created, when God created through the Trinitarian Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but what I'm trying to say is when God created the world, everything was very good. But to say that we can still partake of every seed-bearing plant today because they were very good in creation forgets Genesis 3 and the fall. You will never hear anybody argue, take a sip of that arsenic because God created it very good. Now that's a little snarky, that's a little funny, but the truth is since the fall has occurred, Things that were very good have very bad side effects, okay? Now, so we have to be careful basing a doctrine of plant use and mind-altering, mood-altering plant use based solely on Genesis 1 and 2 because the fall happened and things broke. Things don't work the way they used to be. The other argument from a Christian perspective is that it is in the Bible. Now, at least that's the argument. There are two words. If we were to look at the incense that was made in the Exodus for use in the the tabernacle and ultimately in the temple, there are two words together that the ESV translates um, aromatic reed. You know, like a reed that grows along a riverbank. Um, In the uh, NIV and some of the others, they translate it as the Spice Calamus. Um, I'm not familiar with what Calamus is, but apparently when burned, it has a very aromatic aroma to it. But the word aromatic reed in the ESV, the word for aromatic and the word for reed, if you put them together in the original Hebrew, they do sound a little bit like the word cannabis. Um, I did consult all the major theological dictionaries and lexicons for the Hebrew language uh, that I have access to, and none of them mention that that actually is cannabis. And so we have to be careful, once again, taking words out of their context and trying to justify certain acts through those words. So I believe that the recreational use of marijuana falls under the category of drunkenness, and we are told several times within Scriptures to not be drunk. And so therefore for the Christian even if it's legalized it's it's off the table just as excessive alcohol drinking is off the table. So we've looked at the don'ts of imitating God. Let's flow through here and look at the do's of imitating God. First, we can't defeat old habits unless we replace them with new habits. Paul tells us in here as imitators of God from verse 2 we're to live a life of love. We're to live a life of thanksgiving, we're told in verses 4 and 20. We're told to live as children of the light exposing the deeds of darkness, he tells us in verses 8 and 9 and also in verse 11. We're supposed to find out what pleases the Lord in verse 10. We're to be careful and we're to be wise in verse 15. We're to make the most of the opportunities God gives to us in verse 16. We're to understand God's will in verse 17. And then the parallel passage to the do not be drunk in verse 18 says this. It says, do not be drunk on wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Speak to one another with psalms, with hymns and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. This comparison, this contrast that Paul is making here is, it's almost as if he's saying we're all looking to be filled with something. We can either seek to fill that gap, that hole in our life, we can either seek to fill it with drunkenness, or we can fill it with the Spirit. The problem with drunkenness is it leads us to do all these things that he, Paul has just told us not to do as children of God. But if we're filled with the Spirit, well, we'll live life of song and life of praise. How are we filled with the Spirit? If we look at this parallel passage in the book of Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 15, we see this. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. What does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? It means to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Peace is a reconciliation word. Peace is a word that says that we have embraced the work that Jesus has done for us and we are reconciled to God. We are no longer rebels against God. How do we find peace with Christ? How do we have that peace in our heart? I had a man tell me the other day when he looks at the glorious beauty of a blue sky and the green grass and the budding flowers. He says, I cannot see a God that is a bean counter and holds our sins against us as an accountant tries to balance the books. And I would have to agree with him. I think God's going after He reviews our life for us as we're there at the judgment seat of Christ, He's going to ask us one question. He says, in light of your life, did you seek your own glory or did you seek mine? And we're all going to have to answer honestly, well, I, I sought my own glory. And then the caveat question is that, well, did you believe in my Son and the glory and my glory that He pursued that He has offered to you, so that you be, might be my child and so that you might have peace with me, and so that you might be reconciled to me? And we need to be filled with that gospel if we have embraced it. If we have embraced Christ's work as our only means of salvation before a holy God, we need to be filled with that grace. But we also need to be filled with the word of Christ. You've heard me say this before. What is the Word of Christ by which we need to be filled? It's the Bible. We need to read. We need to study. We need to meditate. We need to taste and see that it is sweet. And let it fill our entire being. In those areas where we fail and we falter and we need to be transformed and we need to be made into the image of God, we need to feel the pain of that Word as it works on those old habits to help us take off the old habits and put on the new. But we need to taste the sweetness of the Word. And we need to be filled with it. Each and every one of us in here strives. We seek in some way to fill the emptiness within us. And most of the time, every one of us in here seeks to fill the emptiness within us with things of this world. It might be love. It might be relationships. It might be marriage. It might be friendships. It might be work. It might be money. And sometimes it's drugs and alcohol to an extent, to an excessive amount. And What Paul is saying here is don't be filled with the idolatries and the idols and the things of this world. Be filled with the Gospel. Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the words of Christ. Why can we do this? Why do we imitate God? So we've looked at the don'ts of imitating God. We've looked at the do's of imitating God. Why do it? Well, he says in verse 16, he says, because the days are evil. I think one of the best witnesses we can have as the church is to stand on the truth of the Bible. Stand on the truths of the doctrine, but also stand on the truths of a life lived in pursuit of holiness before God. These don'ts are improper for God's people, Paul tells us in verse 3. Hey, you've been saved, he tells us in Romans. Act like it. You've been forgiven. Live like it. Pursue holiness. It's shameful, the next reason why we do this, is it is shameful to merely talk about what the wicked do. Verse 12, many people tell us uh, that to live a Christian life, you shouldn't watch movies or watch TVs, uh, TV shows. Well, there may be a little bit of truth in that. We are overly fixated oftentimes on the horrific don't, unholy things of the world. And we see it through television. We see it through the computer. I'm not telling you to throw your computer out unless it's becoming an adult idol for you. I'm not telling you to cut your cable unless it's become an idol for you or you can't afford it. It's shameful to merely talk about what the wicked do. Evil is ultimately going to be exposed before Christ returns. That's the job of the church. Shine your light so that evil, so that the darkness may be exposed. God's wrath is against evil. From verses 5-7. through That should scare those who are not covered by the grace of Christ. You were once in darkness and now you are in light. You have the light of Christ in you. Don't live like you were dark. And finally, Christ loved us and gave Himself for us. We should be so grateful for the grace poured out upon us that we seek to live differently from the world. We seek to be imitators of Christ. We've looked at the don'ts of imitating God, we've looked at the do's of imitating God, and now we're going to seek to apply this a little bit more directly to any issue. But specifically to the issue of recreational marijuana. We're going to ask ourselves five questions here. Five, not ten. Five. We're going to ask ourselves five questions to consider as we look to the use of recreational marijuana. Number one, is it legal? Now. It's a question we don't often think of, but it's a question we fall back oftentimes. Up until now, what have I been able to say whenever somebody comes to me and says, Ike, what do you think about marijuana and why can't I do it? Well, it's illegal. Don't do it. Obey the law, Romans 13, 1 through 7. Respect the authorities that God has placed over you. Pay your taxes like you're supposed to do. And follow and obey the law because God has ordained those laws. Now, there's a lot of things that are legal but aren't moral. So this can't be the next question. What do I mean by legal but not moral? Is abortion legal in our country? Yes. Is abortion right? No. So even though things are legal, they're not necessarily moral. So sometimes we have to move on to the next question. What will it do to me? 1 Corinthians 6, 12-20. The point Paul makes there is our body does not merely belong to us. Our body is God's. Our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So anything we do in our life, we need to ask, what will it do to me? Well, according to the World Health Organization, according to the Center for Disease Control, the effects of marijuana on the body include immediate intoxication. That intoxicating effect will last in your body for up to a month, according to most of the studies done. It slows our minds and our reflexes. It wasn't that long ago that the, the pothead was kind of a, a laughingstock in our culture because what did they do they sat on their sofa ate doritos and smoked marijuana all day is that i mean that's pretty much the picture we've been given it dulls our memory it damages our immune system it diminishes our motivation it increases socially destructive behavior and it has a negative impact on brain structure especially if used young It has an addicting effect according to the CDC. One in 10 people will become addicted to marijuana. If you start when you're a teenager, it increases to one in six. How will it affect my, the next question we need to ask ourselves is, how will it affect my capacity to love my neighbor? We can state this another way. Will it enhance the dominion that I am called to have over creation? Or will it enhance creation's dominion over me? One author wrote, he says, on this substance, can I help someone in danger? Can I drive a car safely? Can I model self-control to my children? Can I grieve with someone who is suffering? Can I correct someone who is straying from the faith? Or can I encourage someone who is discouraged? Am I pursuing it? Fourth question, am I pursuing it as medication or recreation? Proverbs 31.6 Give strong drink to one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. And we do have to be aware, even for medical use, that it can be abused. Only 2% of the prescriptions in the state of California in 2015 for medical marijuana actually went to people who needed it medically. 2% of the prescriptions in California went to people who actually needed it medically. Um, Now, there are some benefits to adults with chronic pain. There are some benefits to people on chemo. and one other thing, which I can't remember off the top of my head, so medically it may be, uh, maybe justified in some certain, certain situations. Wow. And finally, the last question we need to ask is: Will we smoke pot in heaven? <laughs> we we laugh, but I mean it's a valid question. God talks about things in the Bible that we'll do in heaven, and oftentimes one of my seminary professors used to make the joke a lot of times our view of heaven is kind of just sitting on a cloud playing the harp smoking pot but you know the new heavens the new earth we're going to work the new heavens and the new earth we're going to glorify God and maybe but probably not we will not partake of substances in heaven that dull our senses to the point that we can no longer view the glory of God clearly because that will be our main thing, is to see the glory of God in its full, full grandeur and full splendor. So five questions we ask. Is it legal? What will it do to me? How will it affect my capacity to love my neighbor? And am I pursuing it as medication or recreation? And will we do it in heaven? Now, I've given us a lot of do's and don'ts today. And it, it's almost unfair for me to jump into the middle of one of Paul's letters to the point where he is applying giving applications, given these do's and don'ts. Because in every single one of Paul's letters, he spends the majority of the time laying the foundation for these do's and don'ts. And these, this foundation is the gospel. All of us in this room, whether it's drugs, whether it's money, whether it's love, whether it's acceptance, whether it's your work, all of us seek to fill ourselves with something other than the Spirit, something other than the gospel. But this foundation that Paul has laid for these do's and don'ts is the Gospel. It is the fact that no matter what idol grips your life, no matter what idol has its talons dug so deeply in your heart that you'll think you'll never shake it, the Gospel dissolves those talons. The Gospel dissolves those claws and reconciles us to God. Sometimes it takes help from outside sources. Sometimes God can do it through the power of His Spirit. But Paul makes the point at the beginning of, of the book of Ephesians, every single one of us was at one time dead in our trespasses and sins. Dead in our pursuits of idols. But the filling of the Spirit made us alive. And so the foundation for setting aside these habits and putting on the new ones is the fact that we are forgiven. And even if we stumble and fall, we still find forgiveness for those sins. We avoid the things that seek to dull us. We avoid the things that seek to turn our hearts from the glory of God. We seek to, but most of the time we turn right back to those things. But forgiveness is there. And so even if you struggle with this particular issue if you struggle with drug addiction or whatever the filling it is there is forgiveness there is grace and there is the sweet sweet knowledge that sweet sweet balm of the spirit that fills us and pushes those things out let us pray our gracious god and holy father we do thank you for your spirit we thank you that it fills us We ask that whenever we seek to fill that void in our life that only You can fill, when we seek to fill it with those other things, those idols, whatever they may be, remind us that we are to be filled with the Spirit. Lord, we love You because You first loved us. We pray all this in Jesus' name.